Know what to eat, but find yourself not eating it. Perhaps you've been on diets and off again, and just wonder why you can't stick to them. The Eating For You podcast, hosted by me, Sally Ann Pisk, will show you what's been missing so you can enjoy a healthier way of eating that lasts. Hi, Sally Ann here, and welcome to our episode Exploring Health and Happiness. And today's topic was very much inspired by an article I read from Time magazine in the first week of the new year. And it was reporting on what experts in the field of happiness had to say what good daily habits were to promote happiness. And I think that's what's really great about happiness. It's something that is both innate, but we can learn uh, to be happier and strengthen that happiness that we already experience. So it's a very exciting topic. And when we talk about what actually is happiness, many people think, oh, well, that depends on the individual, what that looks like and what it feels like. But certainly the experts say the common things about health and happiness or happiness in particular is that we feel in control of our life. We feel autonomous that we can make decisions for ourselves. We feel like we're living our purpose. We feel like we can be who we're meant to be and we're not trying to be somebody else. And my area of learning around health and happiness, uh, that connection has very much come from Tibetan Buddhist studies. And from Buddhist point of view, happiness is about the state of our mind. And so it's getting to that, the mind to that point through learning and through practices in mindfulness and meditation to reach that mental equanimity. And what that really means is that we're not trying to grasp onto the things that make us happy, the things that we enjoy. And also we're not pushing away the things that we don't like or find uncomfortable or don't know, the things that we're fearful of. So it's a state of moving, um, you know, avoiding, I should say, those extremes of hanging on to what makes us happy and avoiding the things that don't. And certainly Western practitioners, you know, in psychology, for example, they talk about that misconception of happiness occurring because we bury or cover up those negative thoughts, feelings and emotions that we have. And that's definitely not the case. So in terms of happiness, you know, a simple definition could even be a sense of long-term well-being, peace of mind and satisfaction with your life. And the experts interviewed in the Time magazine certainly say that, you know, it's probably not feasible to think that we can maintain that same level of happiness all the time, but we certainly can include things into our self-care plans, our weekly tasks and daily tasks that help us to experience that sense of happiness and strengthen uh, those practices and the experience itself. So I'm just going to take a read now through um, some of the things or the, the main nine ingredients that the experts actually identified as being important to cultivate happiness. So I don't think any of these are going to actually surprise you. And when I read this through, I thought about my own life and, and the ladies that I work with in our online programs. And they're all components of the 
eating for you programs so that's even better it's like well we're doing this already for ladies in our community which was reassuring for me indeed so seven or more hours of sleep is recommended and we know how important sleep is for a number of functions in the body but especially for our stress hormones and making sure they're in a lower more natural level rather than being raised when we have a lack of sleep. So most experts identified this as a daily requirement. Some said, you know, for most days of the week. So there was a little bit of a range in terms of how important some of these factors were rated by the different experts. And just recapping, there were 18 experts interviewed for this article. And the article that I actually read about this I will provide a link in this episode's notes so you can get a little bit more information about this topic. Personal hobbies were also important, you know, participating in the things that we enjoy, the things um, that bring us that sense of purpose, things that are creative, things that allow us uh, to be more of who we are and who we want to be exercise and playing sports so we've got a couple of things happening here obviously movement is very good for the feel good hormones also if we're fitter we feel stronger we feel more resilient uh, but also if we're participating in team sports we're getting that socialization which is another component of happiness and in a little while i'm going to recap on the blue zone community research as well because social connection is a big part of people living well into their 80s and 90s as well. Spending time in nature, um, this is a biggie and we certainly do talk about this in the Eating For You programs as well. And experts again varied a little about you know how much time was required but at least more than one session a week. Bearing in mind the research is suggesting around 120 minutes a week in nature has a positive impact on lowering our stress hormones for the following week. So if you had a two hour walk, which I'm aiming to do as one of my New Year's resolutions, that benefit that I'm getting from the phytonicides from the plants will have an effect over the week for me and for you if you do the same. Meditation. Again, a little bit of a range here in terms of what the experts were suggesting, but most of the research says a daily practice certainly has a big impact on our stress levels but also our ability to focus and feel in control and peaceful in our life. Prayer was a component for some of the experts, spending time with friends outside of work and 50% of the experts actually said you know three to four times a week connecting with people outside of the work situation was beneficial to our experience of happiness. Engaging with support groups or therapists was also on the list, but this was a less frequent item in terms of ingredient for health and happiness. And I know the importance of community and we've been building the Eating For You community on Facebook, which is a private group, but free for any lady to join. And my reason for starting that group was to have women together who are really seeking for that long-term way of eating without a diet. So having that connection with people who are after the same thing builds our confidence, builds our health and builds our happiness as well. 
spending time with our family outside of home as well was a recommendation. And of course, all of these recommendations are based on what you're already doing as well, how much of the different things that you need. And certainly our podcast episode last week on the self-care plan helps you to personalize these recommendations. Um, the one thing that wasn't mentioned in the article that I read about the experts' views on happiness was food. And certainly I want to touch on that in today's episode, what we know about the connection and role of food with our mental health and well-being. But before I go there, I do just want to recap on the research from the Blue Zones communities because these are communities that have been identified. There's one from Greece, there's one from Italy, there's one in California, there's one in Costa Rica, there's one in Japan, Okinawa community. Um, these five communities are really amazing in terms of their longevity, but not only are they living well into their 90s, and hundreds, these people, like I said, they're not just living, they're living really well um, and enjoying life at a high level. And so I thought it was interesting just to compare what's been identified as components of happiness as well as components of longevity. And you'll start to see the similarities as I read through what has been identified from the Blue Zone community research. Certainly natural movement has come up as a key common thing across the communities. And by that I mean, you know, moving for transport such as walking, gardening, things that you would normally do in your day. So really just being active, taking the opportunity to move rather than going to the gym. That's quite a different type of exercise. Having a purpose in life, and, and this is very much explained that when you wake up in the morning, you uh, feel like you're living your purpose. You know what you're going to do. You know what you're going to be doing is meaningful for you and for others. Having um, activities and practices, rituals, routines in place to reduce stress is also a common component of these communities. So they acknowledge that stress happens, but they acknowledge the importance of managing that stress as well. And certainly their prayer, their connection with others also helps with this reduction of stress. The 80% rule is a great one, and that certainly aligns very well with the practice of mindful eating. And what we're talking about here is people in these communities eat to 80% full. They don't eat to 100% full where you've got that physical feeling of being full and your tummy feeling like a balloon that's you know going to explode as you blow more air into it. So it's that sense of satisfaction without feeling hungry and without feeling full. And that is certainly a big component of our Eating For You programs, helping you to get confident in eating to that level. Plant foods are the foundation in all of these communities. Fresh roots and vegetables, nuts, seeds, chickpeas, tofu, all of these foods are really important. And some add, you know, maybe some lean meat or some fish or poultry to the vegetables as well. Wine is also a part of the Blue Zone communities, but not all of them. And certainly it's a small glass of red wine, maybe once a day, or maybe two small glasses. And it's always taken with food or 
in socializing with others and there's no you know sort of keeping them aside and having the whole 10 on the weekend it's a small amount as I said taken with food and with friends and family most of the people who have been interviewed most recently in the blue zone communities the majority have a faith-based community as well and that is obviously very important for their meaning and purpose in life but also for helping them manage stress as well a common thing or a motto in the blue zone communities too is loved ones come first so there's a very tight and supportive family network where grandparents if they're not living with the parents are close by and children um, have the contact with their parents and their grandparents on a daily basis so family is quite a key component here and belonging to the right tribe you know having friends and groups that you're a part of that support your purpose in life and what's important to you and as I mentioned earlier that was a key reason why I set up the eating for you community on Facebook that is a private group for ladies and I have shared the link to join that community if you're not a member already that is in the episodes notes I now want to take a look at the connection between food and mental health and I remember the first time I you know participated in a presentation by Professor Felice Jacker I was really excited about the power of food and nutrients and what's really exciting as well is that Felice is a leader of this research internationally and she's based with her team at the Food and Mood Centre in Melbourne so it's really great to hear about the Australian research before I talk a little bit more about Felice and the Food and Mood research it's important just to note that mental health issues are a huge burden and have a huge impact not just on individuals but families and community and something that was not known to me until I was reviewing the research summaries on the Food and Mood website is that half of the people with mental illness are actually diagnosed or actually have those conditions not necessarily diagnosed by the age of 14 so there's a lot of young people who are coming through uh, needing support for their mental health and what's been pointed out in a lot of research papers is this connection between the change in the food supply and the rates of depression and anxiety not surprising in the 20th century we saw a marked change to our food supply a lot more processed food ready-to-go meals which meant that we were eating more saturated fat and more refined carbohydrate and sugar at the same time the amount of fiber that we were eating from plant foods was declining so a big change here and observational studies which observe connections between lifestyle factors such as eating and health have for quite a number of years identified that a healthier diet reduces the risk of mental health conditions such as depression and anxiety but what was unknown at the beginning was whether the mental health condition was changing the way people eat or the other way around that is the types of foods that they were eating was contributing to 
their mental health status. But that has now been confirmed that it's actually the diet contributing to the mental health rather than the other way around. And so it's well accepted that a change in diet to make it healthier can on average decrease the risk of depression by 30%. So that's quite significant and really hopeful as a cheap and doable way, affordable way of changing people's health. And I say that because there's lots of interventions for mental health and I'm not saying that it would be just food on its own, but compared to perhaps long-term medication usage, then then food is definitely a cheaper option than that. I just want to mention Felice because she has an amazing career path and background. She's a psychiatrist but specializing in nutrition and is one of the co-directors at the Food and Mood Center in Melbourne. She also has published a number of research papers and this can all be seen on the Food and Mood website and the link will be with this notes. I just want to say here that the first randomized control trial so I'll just explain the difference between the observational studies I mentioned earlier and a randomized control trial. With an observation study, you're looking at trends, comparison. There's no intervention. You're just observing patterns of what people are eating and how that might be affecting their physical or mental health. In a randomized control trial, you're actually testing a therapy or a diet plan or you know an approach to exercise, whatever you're wanting to evaluate. So it's randomized to actually reduce that risk of bias and not producing results that can be replicated. And what's really important is that since the SMILE study, which was completed by the Food and Moon Center in Melbourne, other research studies have backed their research to show that food is an affordable and effective way of reducing depression which is just amazing and as I said it's really exciting that a team in Australia are leading uh, or among world leaders in this research. But I just want to read my notes here about why this is so important and how food works with the mind and body to actually change our level of mood, state of happiness or even a diagnosed condition such as depression. What researchers agree on across the world now is that depression is not a brain disorder. It's actually a whole body disorder. They know that it's the immune system that is playing a huge part here. And the immune system is not working as well because the body is in a chronic state of low-grade inflammation. And what contributes to this imbalance or disease state is poor diet lack of exercise, cigarette smoking, being overweight or obese, a lack of sleep, lack of vitamin D and high levels of stress. So you can see that these components that contribute to physical and mental health problems are the same ones we mentioned about being essential for enjoying that state of happiness. So it's that overlap between mind and body that has really come out in this research into depression and other mental health illnesses. And I think it just encourages us to understand that both physical health and mental health are equally important. From 
a nutrition point of view, what's really important to understand is the role of the gut microbiota. And as they share on the Food and Mood website, the role of microbiota in our immune system, our overall health, our brain function, our metabolism and our body weight. We're just learning more and more about this as the research is completed, which is really exciting to know that food and lifestyle factors can be modified, can change our microbiota, can make us feel a heap better and we can be healthier as well. So really in summary, the diet that is contributing to mental health and a lower experience of happiness are those that are highly processed, high in saturated fat, high in refined carbohydrate uh, and sugars. So we're actually missing out on the nutrients and missing out on those nutrients has the impact of affecting our immune system, our gut microbiota, and also the expression of our genes. And it can be a combination. Some people may not eat a lot of junk food or highly processed food, but they're not eating enough nutrients. Some people might be eating plant foods, but they're still having a high contribution of processed foods as well. So let's break it down another step about what the recommendations are coming out of the research. Foundations of what we eat, plant food. Fruits, vegetables, coloured vegetables, legumes, lentils, tofu, tempeh, nuts, really important. Some people add fish and lean meats to that as well. Not essential to be vegetarian, to have good health and a high level of mood and mental health as well. Healthy fats such as olive oil are recommended and a lot of this has come out of the research into the Mediterranean diet as well avoiding those processed foods as much as possible especially the highly processed foods with the saturated fat and sugars fiber is key they're recommending at least 50 grams a day of fiber and certainly in our eating for you programs we talk about the importance of these lean proteins and fiber uh, in terms of setting up a regular and maintainable way of eating. So fibre is really important. Again from research identifying that vinegars play a role as well in terms of helping our gut microbiota. Balsamic vinegar, apple cider vinegar are two that are mentioned. And fermented foods, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, tempeh. But just a warning here, more is not necessarily best. And these are very general guidelines and eating for you is very much about personalizing those guidelines for you. So whilst a friend might have a cup of, you know, sauerkraut a day, you might just have two tablespoons. It's working out what is going to work for you, what you enjoy and what you can maintain most importantly. What's really exciting is that food and nutrition has got into local and international mental health guidelines and that's really exciting to see that as a natural treatment option for people with mental health conditions. And as I've mentioned already all of these guidelines for eating and lifestyle are really great but unless we put them in a plan and unless we actually act upon that plan it's not going to happen. So I did mention the self-care plan podcast episode from last week. That's there for you to listen to. But if you're in that situation where you're having problems putting that plan together or you've got the plan and you can't stick to it, then I can offer you a free 45-minute call if you're really motivated to 
get a plan in place that is going to support your health and weight long term. So I've provided the link for the Foundation's Mindful Eating call. If that's a new resource for you, just a quick explanation. It's a free 45 minute call. We spend around 30 minutes talking about your eating habit and your main health goal. If I can help you, I will outline a plan. And if that plan makes sense to you, I'll also show you how to put that into action. Knowledge is not enough. We need to be able to put it into action and maintain it. And of course, as always, if I'm not the best person to help you, I will refer you on to somebody else that can help you. So thanks for joining us to explore this connection between health and happiness and the role of our lifestyle choices and food in boosting our experience of happiness and health. Wishing you a mindful day ahead and I look forward to sharing with you again next week. You have been listening to the Eating For You podcast with Sally Ann Pisk, ready to ditch diets and receive support for a lifelong way of eating. Then join me in a free 45 minute Foundations Mindful Eating call. The booking link is included with this episode's notes.